Hey everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Exploring Kodawari. My name's Luke, and my co-host is my fiancé, Yanka. We are both classical musicians, and this podcast will loosely explore the inspiring and motivating energy of Kodawari. In this particular episode, we work through the definition of Kodawari and our motivation for starting a podcast. The short version is that coronavirus rendered us stuck at home. All of our concerts and performances are canceled. It's now three months later, and it's unclear when we will get to perform again. This left us feeling stuck, unmotivated, and frankly, somewhat depressed. We decided that we needed something to keep us moving forward, something to challenge us, to help us stay on the path of growing as musicians and as people. And Kodawari was the idea that sparked my motivation to start a podcast and a blog. Instead of rambling too long here, I guess I'll just read a short paragraph from one of our first articles, and this will be linked in the episode notes. Here goes. Kodawari is a beautiful concept word from Japanese. Although difficult to translate succinctly, Kodawari essentially means pursuing perfection in a craft. It is the pursuit of an ideal, even though you realize you can't arrive there. Kodawari can be your personal standard and sense of professionalism. It is the pride you take in doing a job the right way. It is taking on full responsibility in a steadfast manner. Basically, it is the opposite of cutting corners. Kodawari is the energy that makes people approach life with commitment and attention to detail. It is the unwavering voice in our heads that demands hard work and striving, even when it's unclear exactly what we're aiming at. It is what drives musicians to spend countless hours in the practice room. It motivates a chef to make the perfect meal, a writer to suffer over their words, and a barista to craft the perfect drink. But it is so much more than that, and on a zoomed-out level, it is an approach to life. It is being the best you can be, even if nobody else will notice. And embedded in the Kodawari meaning is the knowledge that perfection cannot be attained, yet you pursue it nonetheless. Okay, so that was a short excerpt from our website. You can find the full article over at exploringkodawari.blog. Other topics covered in this episode include Carl Jung's circumnabulation, try saying that five times fast, watching yourself with metacognition, my experience eating at the three-star Michelin restaurant, uh, 11 Madison Park, freaking amazing, the Kodawari of sushi, confronting nihilism, and a bunch of other stuff that I don't quite remember right now. Uh, most of our other episodes will be interviews, but we wanted the first one to be just us, a kind of meta episode about why we're here and what we're doing. Thanks for checking us out and hope you enjoy it. All right. The first episode of Exploring Kodawari is live. <laughs> I was going to say welcome, but you're part of it. So yeah, um, I would have put an intro already on the front of this, uh, theoretically, so we can just get right into it. Um, what made us want to start this podcast? Um, well, I don't know. Like we have a lot of conversations, two of us, I think. And, um, I don't know. The key is we just have to trick ourselves that we're not recording a podcast and we're just kind of walking on the beach or something, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, we don't actually plan to do a lot of these just us episodes. I think I'm more excited about interviewing people. For sure. Yeah. For me, especially. (laughs) But, um, definitely some of the times I think it would be good to do a deep dive. Yeah either into a topic or stoicism. Like if, if we both read that, we're both reading the same book on stoicism. Yeah. It's also an excuse to like actually read that book, you know, because yeah. <laughs> we're pretty lazy with reading books unless we have like a, a good reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. Finishing books. I mean, reading is I'm not great the part. at starting books. Me too. <laughs> I, gr- I started like so many books 
this past year, I would say. But I don't know if I finished any I of them. almost finished <laughs> all of the Marcus Aurelius meditations, but still technically didn't finish that. I think the fastest <laughs> I've ever read in my life was Harry Potter. Me too. I finished it in one day, the book five, probably. It was 1,100 Order page. Order the Phoenix? Yep. We should watch one of those movies tonight, by the way. Oh, They're on sure. HBO. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. <laughs> um, so the the Kodawari vibe is sort of like, I, I think it has more of a specific meaning if you were to like just look up a more strict definition of it. Um, but I kind of like the idea of the, the Kodawari philosophy towards life in the sense that um, Kodawari is normally like for a craft, like making sushi or you make, you know, um, coffee, coffee for baristas. You're yeah. a chef or it's, 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 or you could even be in something more like manufacturing. And even though you're making like machine parts for some factory or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. you still make them perfectly. And you're the kind of guy that checks the parts and, oh, this one is slightly off. Yeah. You know, throw out the whole batch where we're making a new one, even if that means you lose money or time or whatever. Yeah. You don't compromise what you are aiming at, which is perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, aiming at. Exactly. But not that you can get there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like people that have this like type of mentality, they just also like are completely aware that that is just never going to happen. Like we just recorded the intro for this podcast and then... Oh yeah, you just heard it. Yeah. Pretty good, right? <laughs> okay, thank you. So yeah, it we only were took just... one take. <laughs> that one take only took one take. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Let's believe what you said. So yeah, for instance, even recording that, like I was just constantly aiming for this thing. Like there was always one little squeak, one something. Yeah. But like perfection. Yeah, you can just never achieve that, I guess. I guess, well, so I first heard the term Kodawari... It was 2014, and I was watching a, a Joe Rogan podcast with this coffee expert named Peter Giuliano. I'm prob- I've probably shown you videos of him before. Yeah, we watched that, I guess. He, I forget if he won a barista championship, and yes, if you didn't know, there is a thing called barista championships. There's even like latte art championships. Like, yeah, we watch some of them. That they they just keep going on for hours, right? Like, yeah, people and people watch yeah. the live stream on YouTube for like three hours or whatever it is, it's and crazy. it's literally baristas having a competition and making drinks, and and there are these different rounds. So there are those competitions within countries and then internationally. It's so funny that there's a rabbit hole pretty much in anything. You just don't know about it yet. That's yeah. what I love about the Kodawari vibe when you zoom into a craft. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I didn't know there were like a, a whole group of people that are Kodawari about their mustaches. I met a group of gentlemen who <laughs> they they make their own... Um, mustache wax or wax. something? Yeah, they yeah. make their own mustache wax. And like they're, you know, setting Guinness Book of World Records type mustache length. Uh-huh. And they spin it out as horizontally as it can last with their face, from their face. But they, they make this wax at home and they were telling me about all the details. And I was just like, I need to go buy toilet paper. That's what I'm worried about. Like, <laughs> yep. you're, you have time in your day to make and apply mustache wax, you know? Yeah. But to each his own. Interesting. Um, I wonder what's the message that that gives. Like, Well, I just mean I love the idea <laughs> that, that everybody has, whether it's a hobby or a job, whether it pays well or not, they have something they probably really care about and attend to the details. They're not cutting corners yeah i know what you mean yeah so even with mustache this exists that's basically what we're i, I just to say. chose like a, a, a limit <laughs> case like an edge case that might be funny yeah um 
but I, I don't, and I don't know, maybe they're far from Kodawari about their mustaches. They could be like, you know, just like go in front of the mirror and take like three seconds and twirl it on their finger and put it out. Or they could, but this guy looked like he like used a comb and like really, cause it was like a neat, like slick mustache and it was really long. Um, one of the guys was also like a, a witch or what are you like a, a warlock or whatever they're called. Interesting. He Did he name witchcraft. In Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, where I don't know, yeah, but you'll still see them around town. Is there a major in universities? I wouldn't be surprised if there is in America. No offense to anyone. A a witch, a wizard, warlock major, warlock major, yes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the university departments started inventing those fields, probably. Yeah, um, so back to Kodawari, um, I heard the term from Peter Giuliano, and he was on Rogan's podcast talking about coffee and other crafts and. Rogan is someone who's also jumped into a lot of rabbit holes, you know, with hunting or mm-hmm. fighting or like he's a jujitsu, yeah. like black belt, mm-hmm. anything athletic. So he had a great conversation. And at some point, the guy brought up the word Kodawari. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting word. Like, that's really cool. And I, I remember looking it up and and it's the first time a light bulb went off in my head. Like, I think I'm already wired this way in some sense because I've been a musician, you know, for six years. Mm-hmm. and practicing and going majoring in music and performance in college you're you're practicing like five six hours a day you're hanging out with people at night and listening to recordings and geeking out yeah you're waking up early to warm up before class and and so you're just much more than when you're an adult performer i think when you're in that stage you're much more like just embedded in the details yeah no that's for sure and that's so much part of the kodawari energy is um attending to the details like you don't get lazy even when it comes to like the you know practicing that little scale on that one passage that nobody hears but you're still like i'm not gonna make it yeah, sound like you just shit. can't let it go yeah even though it's like doesn't matter yeah so i heard the word then and then i remember i read a coffee book like a year later and it popped up again saw it again mm-hmm. and i forget if there was another time but um just when we were sitting at home bored it's been like what, 11, 12 weeks of quarantine? Pretty much, yeah. And for musicians, that means no concerts. Yeah. I played one concert the past 11 weeks. The date right now that we're recording this, by the way, if you're hearing this in the future, is, um, what's the date? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yes, it's June 1st. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yep, it's June already. June 1st. <laughs> so uh, we were in quarantine since, you know, March 13th yeah. and uh, barely playing any concerts. Uh, no concerts because I haven't played anything. I don't by barely I mean like b- barely <laughs> playing my instrument and yeah, playing no concerts. That is true. My point was like it's really hard to stay motivated. Yeah, for like sure. To, when there's when no you when I pick up the instrument to practice, uh, <clears throat> I kind of think, eh, I could just not do this. Exactly. Like I don't know. Like for the first time in twenty years that I've been playing. Obviously, when I was a beginner, I didn't have to worry about any performances or anything. But I just don't have anything coming up for me. Like, you know, no concerts, no repertoire to prepare. So, like, I just fool around for a couple of hours with my instrument and then just, like, pack it. Like, I accomplish something, but I accomplish yeah, some nothing. Days, some days I pull <laughs> it out, I warm up for, like, a few minutes and get the get the sound going, um, you know, just two, three minutes. And then I'll just decide to play through a concerto. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, at least I'm doing this. I know. I'm not in that mode of, like, for non-musician folks, um, 
one of the things like to be a classical musician and and keep up your chops and sound good, you have to just work on fundamentals all the time. Yeah. So like the categories of skills that you need for playing, you know, um, you know, just sound quality in general, articulation, yeah. response of the sound yeah. and 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 just keeping those basics really sharp. And as you let them get dull in like lazy times like this. I've noticed that I'll play through a concerto and certain things are free and th feel great. Yeah. But then other things you get to a passage and you're like, it's like a fast passage of 16th notes. You have to double tongue them or something yeah. and your technique totally crashes. Oh, no, for sure. Well, I was just thinking like age, definitely aging brings certain kind of maturities into your playing. But then the more you sloppy you get with your technique, I mean, as you age, come on, like we don't There's do technique kind of as balance, much. balance though between the technique um like mindset and the part of you the part of, i think the part of your brain that like it just enjoys playing music and lets go and all that good stuff mm -hmm. it's also like the part of your brain that goes fuck you to the technique brain you know yeah like don't don't put those thoughts in my head i'm here i'm just trying to make the art you know i have a hard time channeling that that's for sure yeah just even mm -hmm. recording the intro like yeah. um you know it, when you're recording especially you're you're recording into a device, but then you're also like recording into your own brain while you're there trying to play, Yeah, like right, right away to... you're judging. Like it's such a like, you know, reverb of feedback. Like it just yeah. never ends. It's in a way it's almost easier to perform in front of an audience. For sure, hundred percent. Like I cause you have an easier time letting go of things, but when you're recording something, it's just staying there. And then like you want to get your best take and then that creates yeah. pressure. And then you start to stop at every I squeak. think it would be fair yeah. to say that recording either for like an audition that's the worst type because you know someone's critically listening to your audition yeah. tape that you send i don't know why we still say tape never tape. Held, held a tape yeah um, in ages i guess so. <laughs> so i found that the hardest when i know it's for an audition i know and when it's just a recording um I, i'm trying to think i guess i've never recorded for anything other than an audition right Mm. <laughs> like I've never just w set aside like a, the recital hall to to record for like myself. Nothing yourself. Yeah. Maybe we should do that more often. Maybe. I mean, I for sure do it, but like with my shitty phone, like nothing really. It puts a musician into like the Kodawari vibe in a bad way, though, because you you know you have the ability to just hit stop and do it again, hit stop, and so you start you getting obsessive yep. and you start losing your mind. I think it's almost like Kodawari can 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 be a bad thing. Yeah, sometimes you absolutely need to, you need to balance it a little bit. No, for sure. Yeah, like any um, quality of the mind, I think they, they if they come in balance with some kind of counter mm. um, force, it, it keeps it from getting out of control. Because then you become a perfectionist in the bad sense, you know. Like you're, it creates a lot of tension in you. Like I find myself getting lost in that for the past couple of years. It started, yes, it creates physical limitations, and then that affects the way you're playing your instrument. Like. The, the way you're doing your craft you feel tight it, it happens you, in every yeah, craft doesn't probably. matter what it is yeah sure. physical tension is gonna just make you robotic and then it's gonna make you feel weird and then but i yeah. i think it's i think the physical tension starts at the mind i've yeah. always noticed when my mind is tense doesn't have to be about what i'm playing just about something else mm -hmm. I'm stressed about something i have to do later that day my practice session earlier that day my body will kind of mirror the the tense feeling of my yeah. brain the, like when my performances and auditions are approaching, like I have like a really good mindset for a month, let's say two days, three days prior, 
I just cannot calm anything down. Like no matter how like much I try to control, you know, mm-hmm. my body tension or like my mind. Like even though I'm like trying to convince myself, okay, my mind is at a good place. Like I'm meditating, sitting down, I'm fine. Like I'm meditating. Yeah, I'm meditating. <laughs> exactly. Like you're forced it, and then yeah, I can never control the body tension for some reason. Mm. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a me problem. Who knows? You, I think your body is an extreme example of that. That is quite true. More than other people's. So yeah, I heard this term in the coffee world and I really identified with it. Mm-hmm. And then I started noticing it in more and more places as I looked around, like Kodawari, oh, this coffee shop uses it as part of their mission statement. Like, oh, like this guy mentioned it in in a documentary. And, mm-hmm. um, and one of the things they mentioned when talking about Kodawari was the Netflix documentary, or at least it was on Netflix at some point, mm-hmm. um, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Wait, of sushi. I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, we should maybe watch it tonight if it's still on Netflix. Sure. Um, it just follows this guy Jiro and his like pursuit of per- perfecting sushi, you know, mm-hmm. and at the level of detail that goes all the way down to like him going to the fish markets and choosing exactly the right fish, yeah, and paying extra for for something if he thinks he needs it to everything in between. Yeah, sushi. I mean, I think from what I saw, like those mini documentaries and stuff, is the biggest like Kodawari energy. energy. Yeah. yeah, like even the way they slice the fish, like it's just so satisfying to watch. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, you're just talking about your love of sushi at this point. That's also true. Yeah. Um, I also love the 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 fact that it is an energy. It's like when someone's in Kodawari mm-hmm. mode, you can feel it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's they're they're attending to the details, their motivation to to do things right and not just like sort of do it um it it rubs off on you and you start wanting to do that too yeah it's like a good leader who you know just the the people following them want to do the best job because they're just motivated genuinely to do it yeah, that, that energy spreads that's true that happens a lot in orchestras like Say, when yeah, you have yeah, yeah. a good conductor you know and then it you're playing on the and then yeah. everybody else start and it spreads like like um and everybody like the, the coronavirus no it spreads like really <laughs> quickly throughout the orchestra the vibe changes and you yes. feel people's focus you feel that they're not being lazy with these entrances yeah. and they're not kind of together mm-hmm. but like the sections play perfectly together they're listening yeah. around you feel that when the human yeah. mind energy like syncs up to one thing like in an mm-hmm. orchestra yeah. you can just sense it and then everyone's more careful and attending to their part of the big project like with more precision mm-hmm. it happens a lot also in like a good master class like or some that kind of an experience like if someone's teaching you like you realize that there's so many details in every single second that like your brain hurts you know like just so many things to think in you're just such like a simple... storing them in this back of your brain you're like i gotta process all this later yeah. but i'm just trying not to forget any of it yeah. yeah it's a nice reminder to see like how there's so many details in such simple things in again like music or Yes, a lot that's of the a other. good point. So you mean like don't just be aware of the details in whatever you specialize in, but go ahead and once in a while go down a rabbit hole, right? Do you know what a rabbit hole is? Yanka's Eng- English is Yanka's second language, by the way. Isn't it pretty incredible? Thank you. I mean, I learned Ooh. it when I was 20. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was learning it before, but I started speaking it when I was 20. Yeah. So it was probably rabbit- laying dormant in your brain. I guess so. Yeah, I was watching a lot of shows in English 
with subtitles but yeah yeah rabbit hole i mean it's a rabbit hole yeah but you know literally it's a hole from yeah, which a rabbit but, came i guess but um, i mean i kind of guess what you mean like you know like you want to research something and then you just start like writing that whole thing yeah into, like it, a weird... it means it keeps going and going yeah and and in the kodawari sense maybe there is no bottom to the rabbit hole mm-hmm. um and you just keep falling in meaning you you're your interest gets pulled, right? Yeah. And then it keeps getting pulled as you learn more. And then you see a bigger picture. You're like, this is incredible. And then you study more. And then you get this big view of sushi or, you know, classical music, uh, you know, sym- symphony orchestras. And you start studying it. And then when you have a great craft, you can always zoom out and see the big picture and be like, this is incredible. We have like these instruments making vibrations that line up together in the air in just the right way to make you know harmonious sound and like yeah or taste or you know for wine for coffee sushi again oh no i know i I was just using music i'm saying you can see the big picture example or you can zoom all the way into the level of like each individual violinist and how they practice scales every morning so that they can play in tune you know yeah and appreciate like that all those levels have to exist right the conductor has to just as we were saying before, if a conductor is great, they just exude this energy of like, I know what's going on. You can trust me on this journey, you know? Mm-hmm. And when they're the opposite energy of that, the whole orchestra's like, ah, shit, this yeah, is messed the, up. What, like, the hell? Yeah. what are we going to do? That's true. Um, so uh, another guy they mentioned when they first introduced Kodawari was this guy, Katsu. Mm-hmm. He's a Japanese like coffee person, I think, did yeah. we see the video of him? Like I he think has I a, showed you that video on he YouTube. He lived in yeah. America. Now he I'll has a coffee shop. I'll link it in the episode notes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, I guess, worked in New York for a little while and then tried to bring specialty coffee back to Japan. Um, he opened a place called Bear, Pron- Bear Pond Espresso. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Peter Giuliano, was talking about it. Just like, let's say they open at 7.30 in the morning. He's there two hours early, perfecting everything, um, you know, people show up early to coffee shops all the time to make sure the coffee's made and that they dial in the espresso every day. It's like different, but he doesn't want to just like dial it in. Roughly speaking, he's going for an exact thing, you know? Yeah. Something in his mind. And and this guy said he doesn't open if he doesn't get the taste he wants out of it. That's amazing. He'll just be like, today we're not open. I I couldn't fit it. I couldn't figure out how to pull the great shot. Well, I heard the pianist Martha Argyri, she would just cancel performances when she was just wasn't feeling the right way. You know what I mean? I mean, it's maybe tricky. it's a I myth. I could see it both but, ways. Yeah. I mean, that could be a myth too, but I could see <laughs> it going both ways in terms of like, as a performer, you want to go like, I could never cancel. That's part of the energy that makes me find. No, she would cancel so often but, apparently. But, but let's say yeah. like, what? I would be like her. That's for sure. Like I'm more leaning towards like, I just can't like get to perfection and then I just freak out, you know? But, but let's say that, um, I don't know, for me, a lot of the improvements I made over the course of my life were I committed to be, to say, I said, I can play this concert. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got to fucking really figure this out because <laughs> I don't feel like I, I can't play the piece right now. Yeah. Right? And if for trumpet, it could be I can't get to the end of it endurance wise, or it could just be I haven't figured out how to orient my tonguing technique to work on this passage or something like that, whatever. And it's always the the knowledge that I have to do it that um, gets me to actually figure out the skill. And I usually figure it out more last minute than I would like. Yeah. But it always it's always happened. Should I knock on wood? 
Yeah. Well, that's up, quite impressive. Up till this point. But I feel like that's like the way my brain is able to make a crucial jump mm-hmm. or my brain body like system is knowing like you have to you have, actually you have to do it and you have to jump in the water. If you, basically. If you stay yeah. stuck where you're stuck now and don't try to like take a risk to uh, get a new yeah. technique going, you're going to fail anyway. So you might as well kind of take a risk and just totally let go and see what happens. Yeah. And then it does work and you go, oh, interesting. That's true. But That's, I think for her, like at her level of a pianist, like it, it's it was more like more a spiritual, spiritual yeah, yeah, type of thing. I would say so, yeah. But I, I understand what you mean, exactly. You just can't forever run away from the things like that you're not entirely comfortable with. Like sometimes you just have to get into the experience to actually figure out how to do it yeah you know? it's in the moment of having to do it that yeah. you fully figure it out exactly yeah. or a couple of times you have to do a lot like of auditions work. for instance oh yeah sure for me. oh yeah you're never gonna figure out an audition until you actually take one and you're playing there for non-musicians you go onto the big stage usually where like the orchestra plays and it's just you and then you look out into the audience and there's a big screen up and there's like four or five people whatever the panel is of that's a hiring committee basically and they listen to everybody and you know in rounds of like you know 10 people at a time right yeah um and it's just you think when you think logically ahead of time you're like yeah i'll show up and i won't be that nervous because i'm just playing in a room and i can't see anyone no one knows who i am and then for some reason you you no. walk out there and you're just like your brain flips into like what i could call like the opposite of artist mode right yeah it's horrible also it's a little bit like guitar hero i would say playing in an audition situation you just have to like hit the right keys at the right time well, that's a unfortunately bit. what auditions seem to um value maybe a little too much these days yeah like the perfection of technique which of course has to be it's a standard right and we're here talking about kodawari we're of course all about high standards yeah but in terms of art, and art, I think, is a great balancer to the Kodawari vibe, like being a perfectionist, attending to the details. Let's say for music, that means playing perfectly in tune and having perfect rhythm and all of that stuff. Well, if you do that and you're not musical, you're not flowing, you're not being emotional with your playing, then, you know, that's not great Kodawari, right? Yeah. Or, so I don't know, the word for me means like, on the zoomed out level, not just the specific thing here or there, or like, you know, cleaning the toilet really well or brushing your teeth really well. Like it doesn't have to be a specific thing. It's just like the total, the net, when you zoom out on your life, like are you being more Kodawari or more a lazy piece of shit basically, right? And I think I almost wanted to start a podcast with Kodawari as like a, a theme behind it the energy behind it is it will keep a reminder to me that like my past self found meaning by by thinking of like forcing my future self to be more you know responsible to be more attending to the details to not cut corners you know just to be less lazy right yeah not just with specific things like chores and and practicing for your career your job or whatever but also just for your personal development like um growing as a human yeah i was we were talking this morning on the beach about um this is if you go to our website exploring blog. i like dot blog me too dot com was a little com is like what's com what's com computer company I have no idea. Never, one, I, right? I never wondered, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it is kind of mostly a blog with a podcast attached to it. So dot blog. Um, 
I wrote a few articles that'll be up there already. And uh, this, the first one was just explaining what is Kodawari. And the second one was saying the idea that if you take the Kodawari approach in a zoomed out way to life itself, you're saying like, I'm not as good as I could be right now. So what do, what should I do so that in 10 years I can be like, I'm a much better person. I'm wiser and I've accomplished you know, things that are meaningful and have put out good into the world and all that stuff. And so you go, okay, I could take a Kodawari approach to that mission, mm-hmm. you know, of, of self-development. And then I found out that the famous psychologist, Carl Jung, had a word for that. I want you to try to say it first. <laughs> uh, wait, let me try. Circumambulation? Yeah, nailed it. Okay, nice. So this word... Um, circumambulation it's basically like um if you imagine a labyrinth and I'm, you knew you knew what a labyrinth was right yeah so i think we walked on one once right um so right. picture the picture of a labyrinth where you have like the center of it and then you start on the outside and you take these meandering wandering pathways and they eventually end up at the center. And it's kind of like a religious thing, I think. They, yeah. they they walk around the deity or whatever in that pattern. But the concept is really cool because it's basically if you approach that or if you map that model of this circle with <laughs> spiraling things around the outside, um, you can map that onto the the self-development path. So basically, you're going in a direction, you're trying to improve, and at some point you're gonna realize, okay, I was a little bit off in what how I was aiming at this thing. I'm smarter now. Yeah. Or maybe reality put a boundary on you and said, you can't keep doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you were doing really well at the lottery and, mm-hmm. and then you lost all your money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like eventually, whatever strategy you were using to succeed in the world reality will force on you a change, right? Yeah. So then you go in a different direction, same thing, right? Or you fail at something and you have to like go in a, go backwards sometimes and th- there's these a different path, zigzags just like, and spirals. Yeah, when you're trying to solve like a maze or something, same thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, you just get stuck, go back, exactly. try this yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, the, that's how life works. It is a maze. Yeah. If the, the picture, it's like a labyrinth, make it a maze, right? Yeah. Um, any Westworld fans out there, this could be like the ph- philosophy thrown into um, the maze part of Westworld. But the idea is if you look at the spiraling and wandering, it seems chaotic and random at first, but then you realize it's actually circling something. And that mm-hmm. thing it's circling, who knows what it is, but it's like that transcendent concept of maybe who who could I be if I did my best, right? Like mm-hmm. that your ideal manifestation of your personality and and your, you know, every, everything you're born with, your potential. It's like the, the timeline where you maximally achieve self-development, right? Yeah. And you'll never be on that timeline, probably, right? Yeah. That's the Kodawari vibe. You know that you so. can't, you're gonna be lazy sometimes. You're gonna make lazy decisions to sleep in when you shouldn't have and you know not even just that like even though you do your best i don't think it's like a straight line for anybody to pass to well, anything yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but or I mean, life like, yeah I'm, I'm i'm saying in the metaphor like would you ever get to the center of the circle is that death or something <laughs> um well because what mean, would it theoretically you this? should eventually or if I you're guess. trump right if you're like a narcissistic <laughs> you'll type, cut through the maze if you're trump you just, i guess you don't yeah. even you think you are you've always been the center of the maze or something or that yeah 
But I loved learning this word. Um, I'm going to try to maybe read more young, like it, it gets really like complicated, but um, mm-hmm. just that, that concept alone, I'm like, wait, that might work as like a, a map, future map of life, you know? Yeah. So that way you're not wondering like, if you find you're going in the opposite direction in some capacity than you were two months ago with something, you're thinking the opposite thoughts. You don't have to freak yourself out because you go, yeah, in a circle, like as you keep traveling in a circle, you end up going in the opposite, like you're, you're south and then north and then, right? Yeah. So, and, and you can just go in whatever direction your instinct is telling you is getting spiraling somewhat closer to the center. Sometimes you're like really close to the center. You can sense that sort of like, I understand life feeling. And then sometimes you're so far away, you see like the nihilism pit over there in the. Yes, <laughs> for sure. What's in the circle, you think? Um, well, one answer could be how dare I try to define it. But right? also on a smaller scale, it can be your craft. On a bigger scale, it can be the life yeah, itself. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so, you, circ- yeah. you circumambulate towards piano playing. If you want to start learning piano, yeah. you're going to, you know, make some kind of mental model of how piano works. You're going to practice. And then eventually you realize my mental model is limited. I need an upgrade. I'm ready to go to the next mental model mm-hmm. upgrade, you know, like where I don't think everything is just like a three note chord or something. Right. And you have to like then zigzag in a different direction. And even with those kinds of skills, it doesn't even notice, happen consciously sometimes. For oh, sure. this is mostly subconscious. Subconscious, I think. yeah. And then if you apply like some mindfulness and just kind of watch yourself more and from that metacognition place mm-hmm. of like, I'm behind my mind watching this mysterious creature like go about his day. <laughs> um, that's how I feel sometimes. Like, I feel like, like, you know, what a mysterious like monkey I'm watching with with a GoPro camera strapped to his head. <laughs> that's a success, I would say, if you can see yourself that way. Then you don't get too attached to your own emotions and Well, yeah, I mean that's what so much of the meditation stuff is all about is yeah. is finding that detachment. Um, not just while you're meditating, but just make little cues throughout the day where you can just take a breath and step back into that space. Something mm-hmm. like that. Doesn't mean doesn't mean you can have voluntary control over when you're there yeah but you know sometimes it just happens to you more than you create if you it. get close enough to the circle then maybe you can have voluntary control i mean yeah so what do you think's in the center of the circle i mean good question it can be death <laughs> As we already stated, I only, like I only before said you death made in it, in the sense that, like, it was not like a nihilistic how you, death. How do you reach perfect, perfect, perfection or the, your ideal self? It's when you don't exist anymore because there is no way to hmm. be a self and be perfect. I was, th- you yeah, have to become I, part I of everything again. Yeah, you know? I was thinking of it more like not like a nihilistic death, but it's more like life is just part of circling in that circle. You just don't make it to the middle. That's like what the I'm moment say, you yeah. make it, it's the end of your life. It's yes. like the circling is over. Like you. Congratulations, right. that was time, your purpose. Time you know? is moving forward. You have to go somewhere. You have to move in a direction. Yeah. And that direction, if you're trying your best to orient towards something, if you're religious, you might say you're orienting yourself towards heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that means to you. But you could just call it the ideal, right? The the, the ideal m- mode of being for, my, for, for that individual. If you're aiming at that, you're going to find yourself in that spiraling pattern, I think. Um. So what's at the center? It could be, it could be the ideal version of you that you'll never get to. But yeah. but you can but you, it's, you can still you should still should still aim at it. 
even knowing that you can't. That's why it's the Kodawari vibe, right? Even though I know I can never be the ideal version of myself, I'm going to aim at it, like, and not just say I'm going to aim at it. I'm going to actually attend to the details that mm-hmm. um, that come with aiming at that, meaning not cutting corners. Yeah, you know, we all know people that cut corners, and sometimes they cut them in certain areas of their life, and it's like whatever. Like people are really bad with doing dishes, or. I've met people who, when they do the dish, they barely, I'm not talking about you either. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) We are a couple. Like I could be just using this as, as a way to tell you, you don't do the dishes well enough, but no, that I've only caught you doing that once. I used to live with someone who um, was horrible at doing dishes and they would basically just like touch the plate with the sponge. Like there's some magic spell that happens and you would look at the plates in the, in the drying rack and they were just like still covered in like the oil layer and whatever food what and that's the opposite of kodawari right and <laughs> what i mean is like you zoom out to the level of like how am i going to be the best person i can be and zoom into the level of doing dishes and like in all those places you always get to a fork in the road where you're like i could do the right thing and and attend to the details or you could be lazy and let it go yeah you and i always say like even if we would like cleaning toilets for a living or something we would just do the best and we when can. do like, we usually say that to each other when does that thought come out of our brain i mean usually whenever we witness like this is gonna sound so cunty so i don't know like whenever, whenever we, we witness, witness someone do not doing their job properly like yeah I'm even like, if like a simple job me not like a specific name but tell me what what what's popping into your head like a like what kind of place would we be I mean, restaurants. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too. That's, and like, I, there, I have confirming. a very specific example. Also, probably we are thinking of the same exact you like mean, where the lady just kept bugging us to kick us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was the first time I left less than a twenty percent tip ever in my life. Ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look at me, right? I'm leaving twenty two percent tips on our fifty dollar bill. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um. So we've we've always said this quote when we're out at restaurants, for example. Um, we'll notice just, I, I've worked in restaurants too. Like I know what kind of co- corner cutting is happening. Do you know that expression, by the way? Mm, I don't think so. Like you're cutting a corner, you're running around. Let's say you're supposed to run around a field. I see. Oh, I see. Okay. It I mean, I was, I was kind of You, you take a shortcut but it means you kind of fuck something up because you were supposed to run around the corner and you cut the corner out. Yeah. And maybe the corner was important. It's right? not as thorough anymore. Like maybe the corner is washing your hands after you clear one table and set another table Corners. and people cut that corner. Yeah, I know what um, you mean. So it's like if I'm, you know, cooking something and I decide to, oh, you know what? I'm not going to cut up my own garlic. I'm just going to get a jar of the pre-cut garlic from the store. That's cutting a corner because I know that if I used fresh garlic, it's going to taste slightly better. And if I'm, you know, I th- I think you have to cut some corners, right? You can't be like yeah. a psycho and, and, and be like perfectionist about every detail. Of course, then you you'll can be just paralyzed. chop everything that you're about to cook and put them into the a container and watch unless you're you're you you know you do that a lot well it i i think i just decide <laughs> certain areas and i go this area of my life i'm gonna bring the kodawari vibe to mm-hmm. and then other areas i go i have to you know let that go a little bit because I'm, I'm very easily addicted to the kodawari vibe like too much wherever whatever i do do you know what i mean yeah so what's like the balance of the kodawari vibe um for i know for music it's just being expressive and, and going with the art and and all that but 
in normal life. I think it's just the idea of have fun. I mean, Do you not, know what I mean? Like, yeah. let go, have fun. Also, forgiving yourself if something, like, you don't live up Same to energy, your own. I think. If, even if you don't live up to your own expectations once in a while. Especially because you know you won't ahead of time, right? Yeah. You know you're not going to actually get exactly where you were aiming at. Yeah. So, it, part of it is the forgive yourself thing, but it's also just the, I think forgive yourself and let go is like kind of the same idea in the mind, you know? Yeah. You go, <sighs> okay, I let go of it. And then you can actually say, I let go of it. Yeah. Meditation helps with that ability. You know, it's kind of like a skill. You can just get better at letting go of something. True. Um, anger is the hardest one to let go of usually. For sure. But um, yeah, for, to let go of the Kodawari when you know you should is sort of important too. So you're not like just paralyzed by yeah, you know, paralyzed is the right word. I, I experienced mean, it. I think like I would say the music, past couple mean. of years in music. Yeah. yeah, not literal paralyzing, but yeah, in music, the past couple of years, I started having that, and then I realized it finally. Thank God, like that, I started zooming out a little bit from it because it's the wrong. That's part of getting older as a musician too. I think. Yeah, I would say so. It's I, like the I wrong motivation, after. also. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's not meaningful. Yeah. Well, you realize that you don't being enjoy the technical, what you're um, being a technically perfect player maybe used to be your aim in some way mm -hmm. when you were younger. Yeah. And then you realize that you thought you were aiming at something great. And then as the closer you get to it, you're like, eh. And then something else starts developing the actual center of the circumambulation thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, being an artist in that deeper sense, it has nothing to do with how in tune I was or any of that you know yeah. also technical stuff of, and of course it does right like yeah. we, we've been saying the whole time there's a tension there like the kodawari tells us to practice the intonation till it's perfect but like there's that counterbalance force of of the spontaneity of being an artist right yeah. that the sushi guy also has in there he knows his sushi doesn't taste exactly the same every day he's not aiming at the same perfection every day it's a different different thing I think it maps onto like the the music vibe really well because you have that like that tension between the the technique and the details and then the sort of stepping back into the art thing. Mm -hmm. I just showed you the clip that I I got reminded of this morning. There's a documentary on Netflix called Seven Days Out. Seven Days Out. I'm, that makes sense. They would have, do like, yeah. and it means like they go to these different events like a week before they officially launch or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so this one was um, Seven Days Out for Eleven Madison Park, which is a insanely famous restaurant in new york city um but they by the way i ate there you know this i yeah. ate there two three um 2017 three years ago mm -hmm. um they they opened up a summer house on long island out in the hamptons and my my buddy had a connection and i got to eat there on their test night it's called friends and family night when a restaurant is like um doing an opening and they want to rehearse through all the things right and you wouldn't think this, but like top restaurants like that, they don't just do a friends and family night to sort of rehearse the, you know, menu and to make sure the chefs are cooking it and all that. They, they actually rehearse before the restaurant opens. They practice the skill of being a waiter or a waitress, of coming over and pouring the soup just the right way, of pouring the wine and switching hands when you switch guests yeah. so that you don't get in their way. Or they, 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 they get to all the details. And they were showing this, um, their reopening in New York City. I, I forget what year it was. Um, what was your favorite part of that, um, that 
episode. I think it was episode two or three of this Seven Days Out show. Yeah, the, this restaurant episode. You're yeah, yeah, about. yeah, 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 yeah. No, my favorite part was, I mean, how extensively they were training the wait waiters and waitresses. That was just quite incredible. And then also, like, they were rehearsing them as if they're an orchestra. Yeah. They were like, okay, like now you're putting this like food on the with the right hand. Like, have you ever tried it with your left hand leaning like at like whatever this degree or anything? But the most incredible one was, I think, moment um, the way they were placing the plates on the tables. Like it was. Oh crazy. yeah, t- say that detail. Do you want any more wine, by the way? Uh, yeah, I'll take a little bit. Can you? I don't want to. One, well, I'm not going to pour it over the mixer. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, also, can you just? Tell the fine folks listening what we're drinking. Ooh, fancy. I don't want to... Your French is better than my non-existent <laughs> French. Okay, we're drinking uh, Moulin au Vent. I guess that's how you read it. Moulin au Vent. Yeah, 2015. I guess that's it. It's good. Yeah, it is nice. I haven't had a wine that tastes quite like this in a while. I, I don't would know. say so. I don't know enough about wine, but I can usually taste when I like it. <laughs> yeah. Good wine. Anyway, so yeah, basically yes, what they were the saying is thing, right? they, the weight stuff put, put the plates like the same exact way, like that the label behind the plates are just going to be facing down, like all the same, every single label. Not like, facing down. So like the, what was it? if you have a exactly. plate on the bottom of the plate, it says like the, the name mm-hmm. of who made the plate or whatever the label of mm-hmm. the plate would be. And this guy, the manager um, was talking about how, there are details that they attend to that he knows probably no one will ever notice. But he said that by forcing people to attend to those details, you actually make them do it with more intention. Yeah, that Literally, was the word. right? You're intending to do something. You have yeah. more intention. So they were basically it's making it's just specialer. The, yeah. That's not a word. Specialer. More special. Making the writing like so that how do you flip, say that in English? Basically, I'm they, struggling. They with oriented that. the writing so that when you flip the plate up, you see the writing perfectly lined up with how you're holding it. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Not that Something anyone's going to lift no their plate. No one would even check, notice. But the lighting is low, yeah, right? You're exactly. on your third cocktail and you hand the plate like yeah. off or see it get carried off. Are you going to notice that the label on the bottom was exactly perpendicular to your orientation? Um, maybe. No. Maybe if like you watch that documentary, you might know it, but otherwise, you, probably not. You'll probably be distracted by how amazing the drinks and the food are. I would say so. But yeah, Still they were to this saying, day, the best meal I've ever had in my life. I'm sure. And, I, and I it was mostly free. We had to like tip the, the wait staff, That's but awesome. friends and family night is just, they rehearse. You order whatever you want. We got like a bunch of appetizers. I got like a roast chicken for the dinner, an amazing um, dessert. And this is what I knew, how I knew the Kodawari energy was with was with them. So it's like the force is with you, young one. <laughs> um, the Kodawari energy is with these eleven Madison Park people because I happen to have I got I I've gone down the coffee rabbit hole pretty deep, right? I've had an espresso machine at home for like eight months. I've had a lot of espresso out. I've geeked out on coffee. Like I have a lot of yeah. coffee equipment. It's just a thing I really care about. Um, and most restaurants you go to, even really nice restaurants, their coffee game is garbage. Yeah, but they wouldn't dare doing that. Like after, especially after seeing that documentary, and I like know. how careful but they are. You wouldn't even, be like, surprised at how fancy a restaurant can be, and and the detail that they overlook. The coffee is still a major detail that they mm-hmm. overlook. This I would say, like not Anyways, necessarily they had fancy. specialty level coffee mm-hmm. at this place. Uh, my friend ordered a latte. It came 
not only in a beautifully textured milk with like a delicious espresso, but they poured latte art, which again, like the label on the plate, latte art doesn't make your latte taste any better. But what it shows is like, hey, I'm really putting some intention into this drink I just made yes. you. This is not just a side, I'm not just making money here, I'm not giving you 50% effort. I'm putting, I, I had to put energy into learning how to pour like this. Mm-hmm. And a good barista, when they pour the art, they, they don't know how it's gonna go. Sometimes it's kind of like sloppy and sometimes they nail it. And when they nail it, they you can see they push it towards you in like a very proud way. It kind of gives them, they're at work, right? Maybe they really don't wanna be at work, but at least when they pour that perfect, and I've, I've poured like a decent latte art like once or twice in my life, <laughs> as you've seen me with spilled milk all over the kitchen so many times, right? Oh yeah, that espresso machine. I'm like trying to pull the last thing through and then like the milk spills milk all everywhere. over the kitchen floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so- Th- that that just shows like, hey, I put like five, six, seven hours of practicing at least to get the basics of latte art going. And then like the top-notch baristas pour things that are like perfectly symmetrical. The color contrast between the brown coffee and the perfectly mm. white foam is like, it cuts like a like the new iPhone screen retina display latte <laughs> art, you know? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It really pops. Whereas like cloudy latte art, it's like, hey, it's kind of cool, but I can't really see it. It's like the contrast yeah. is off, you know? Well, there are competitions of latte art. So I that know. explains. And then insane stuff, like what I saw like in those. I've shown not that, that, I've that, that, that Instagram guy, right? Yeah. What, what the heck's his name? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send i'll send i'll, I'll try to uh put put this in the episode notes um as a link uh, oh ben morrow ben wow. morrow morrow something like that um I, I think it's um on instagram he posts all his videos and they're just short 12 second videos of the espressos already pulled i would he, say equally incredible every single video that guy really figured it out oh yeah he's one of the best i yep. mean he's actually more into roasting now i think he's like kind of he's like i i got to the limit of like mastering latte art <laughs> so like i guess i'll i'll dive down the sub rabbit hole of coffee that is the roasting part right because mm-hmm. like he's he's already in the coffee rabbit hole but then you get into one rabbit hole of coffee and you realize there's the roasting rabbit hole there's the um you know running the coffee business and making the shop and the experience amazing there's the the wholesale part of like being able to like each you have to get really good at all these subcomponents but they're all most people that work at these specialty shops seem like they're all like (coughs) just personally geeky about coffee do you know what i mean yeah of course i don't think like you know they're at home like trying to pull great shots yeah i think that's um a great thing to start your day with if you start your day with more intention with pulling a shot of espresso or um, (coughs) making your pour over coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. It sets you off on your day where you're like, the first thing I did, I didn't just cut the corner and do the easiest version of it. I actually like had some really strong intentions behind this. I, I had to like focus and do some math. You know, you, you're measuring your coffee on the scale and getting the right ratios. You're using the right filtered water. You're paying attention to the temperature of the water. You're like, okay, yesterday the coffee tasted a little bit too bitter. I'm gonna make the grind a little coarser and, and now you have less surface area hitting the water. It's the the pleasure you get out of knowing that you attended to all those details and you're aiming at something good in one case, just a cup of coffee. But it means that like when I go to teaching right after that, I'm this much less likely to be lazy with a student. You know, (laughs) as you know, as a teacher yourself, like it's so easy to be super lazy sometimes. Yeah, A student's just not getting it and you just get that hopeless, like nihilistic, like I can't waste energy on this. 
But if you were, had the momentum going of like, well, no, I just like, you know, made this coffee and I could have just not done that, but I did, you know, <laughs> and then you go to the next thing, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do that too, you know, and I'm going to keep this momentum going of taking the path that's a little harder, but, you know, more legit. Yeah, with coffee stuff. I mean, it's another like a good analogy for like circumambulation your everyday struggle with like finding the perfect roast, like our perfect the brew. perfect cup, right? The, the perfect yeah. coffee experience or something. Exactly. Yeah. Probably like, you never get like some days you get there. Sometimes some days you're you too know the far most from frustrating it. part about it. I've gotten a lot more consistent with coffee brewing, and I understand a lot more than I did when I first started. And I'm a little suspicious if this is true or not, but um, my memory is I've nailed coffee much more in the past where I had those like, oh my God, this Ethiopian coffee tastes like lemons and smells of flowers and and I and I can't recreate that, right? Mm -hmm. So there could be an element of maybe I just got really lucky and did make amazing coffee back then or maybe my taste has adjusted so I don't recognize how amazing it is now. That's like hedonic adaptation. Like you just, when you hear a Mahler symphony, at the New York Philharmonic and you're 30 and you've heard a Mahler symphony there like 20 times, it's going to not jar your nervous system quite as much as if it's your first time and you're in high school and you're just like, Oh my God, this is freaking amazing. And you're getting goosebumps all over your body. And, you know, so it could be that like, maybe I am making better coffee now. And if my past self tasted today's, I would be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. But I still think it's just fundamentally mysterious. There's all the skills involved, but it's just like performing. Sometimes you nail a concert and you think, what did I do leading up to that to make that concert go really well? And sometimes it's like you can figure it out like, oh, I slept really well or I was just in a great mood or it was the people I was playing with or I really meditated a lot that morning and my focus was just there or who knows what it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you have no idea. It just happens to you. Same with like the barista pulling the perfect shot and they're like, wait, what did I just do to do pull that perfect shot, right? Um, so there's there's that mystery part to it, but you just go, I'm just gonna keep following my instinct towards what's meaningful. What's that meaningful path of Kodawari of, of just aiming at the center, knowing I'll spiral, attending to the details along the way, all yeah. the while knowing I can't get there. Yeah, that's a good life model for sure, yeah. I, I would say. And yet- <laughs> in restaurants is when it pisses me off the most to see the kind of people that are not doing that at all. Um, or in anywhere in life. like I mean, it happens all the time, point, but like, yeah. especially when you're at a restaurant, you notice it, I guess. Yeah, like we said. Um, anything else? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, I wrote this and then I forgot to do it. Um, I wanted to calculate how many hours we've practiced. Oh, God. Just as like as a rough calc. Can you pull your calculator out? Sure. Well, it's been 20 years. For How old almost. are you? 26, right? 26. So you started playing violin at age five, right? No, six. Six? Even seven, I guess. And at what point were you like consistently practicing like an hour a day or more? Quite early, I would say. By by the time I was eight. Okay. So let's just start with eight. And, and so let's say from what age to what age was it an hour a day? And when did you like up your game in like school to be like three, four hours a day? Hmm. Probably, how old are you when you're sixth grade? 12, 11, 11, yeah. Okay, so for four years, you were doing an hour a day, let's say, eight to eight to 12? I would say so. Okay, so four, four years is um, 
So do 365 is one year, right? Because it's an hour a day. Yeah. 365 times four. Yep. 1,460. Okay, so 1,400. And then do for the other years, how many? That's like 10. I would say there was this like. That's 14 years, right? Up till now. So do 14, do 365 (laughs) times four times 14. What do you get? Twenty thousand four hundred and forty plus the other fourteen hundred, right? So you're you're as a musician when you get to a certain age, and I did it with her because I started quite late. Like I didn't get serious How about my instrument. You? I was in like tenth grade of high school, mm-hmm. and it was by the end of tenth grade that I was doing three or four hours a day. And that summer before eleventh grade, I was like, apparently you can go to college for music. I didn't even know you could do that. I thought you had to become a band teacher if you're going to go to college for music, but apparently you can perform. And so I was like, well, I guess uh, I'll take my usual summer boredom and just practice four hours a day until my face hurts. There were certain points where I was just, I'm not exaggerating or joking, really leaning towards seven, eight hours. I would say. Violinists can do more than trumpet players. Yeah, Seven, eight. I mean, that was a terrible idea. You could be well up to like 25,000 hours in. But then if there you, were a lot of points where I haven't even touched my yeah, instrument say, for months. There's so. been like vacations where like oh, yeah. for two weeks I haven't seen you touch it. No vacations that like were Violinists are for... good at taking long oh, periods yeah. of time off. Trumpet players are good at just like chilling for the day, I think. But we don't really take long periods of time off. Like I think my max would be four days. And then I'm That's like, incredible. all right, if I do more than this, I, I have to like make sure I have time on the other side of this to um, get back into shape. Yeah, Maybe you know like me. a week. Like I haven't played for like four or five months after a surgery, so that's true. Yeah, you, that's, like yeah. I, that was the longest I've ever stopped. But yeah, I don't know. Probably it's like twenty five thousand so, hours. At yeah, this twenty point, to twenty five thousand hours, and and that psychology study that says like you know it takes ten thousand hours to master. That's something. bullshit, by the way. Probably when I was around ten thousand, I there sucked. are a lot of addendums to that. Like uh, that's just a rough approximation, and it's dull. like ten thousand. What kind of hours? Like watching SpongeBob while practicing, or like being focused, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, it there's a lot of like you know conditionals there, and as we know, practicing can be like they they meant ten thousand hours of that mindful, mindful focus yeah. practicing that that we so. know you can do sometimes, but which that I'm you still often don't guilty do. of. Not yeah, you, not I mean, doing us it sometimes. As musicians. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can be awful at practicing sometimes, and I'll just like almost like purposely waste my time you know what i mean like i know i'm like not accomplishing something great and i just keep barreling forward i think that was one of my new year's resolution like last year i'm like i'm gonna be efficient like because sometimes like you see you like take a new piece like you want to tackle and then there are certain points where you just don't even want to deal with you know like oh this is tough like i really don't want to go there and you just ignore it right yeah exactly it's like the room in your house that you don't clean yeah or metaphorically, the room in your mind that you're not cleaning up, yeah. right? I was very guilty of that, and that was my New Year's resolution. I'm like, I'm just gonna. That's a very Kodawari resolution. Yeah, and yeah. then I did like, especially learning new music, like for my recital, where I have to play all contemporary new music, yeah. which is just weird and not making any sense. Like harder sometimes. to learn, harder to learn for the sure. Patterns are less obvious. Yeah. yeah, like even though I felt like I was gonna throw up from like how stupid it is and not making sense, like I just kept pushing. Because otherwise, I was just going to postpone it forever, and yeah. it's never going to. So happen. I would say that's well, you just call it discipline, but let's just like put it as this episode. It's the Kodawari yeah. energy, right? Yeah. It's like <clears throat> your your present self might not know the full details of what you're aiming at, 
you're aiming more at like a magnetic pull, a direction, right? And you know that you, you don't know what the full journey is going to take, but you know where you're aiming at, like the short-term goal of, let's say, four months from now is something where where you can stand there and go, all right, I got pretty close. I don't hate myself, right? Mm-hmm. I have self-respect. And then along the way, the Kodawari vibe is attending to the details. You don't want to get from point A to point B and have caused mayhem in between those two points where everything that you interacted with got worse, you know? Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, you you cook a great meal, but you don't do, wash the dishes. It's like you just cause more chaos. Somebody else had to do the dishes, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not talking to you again. <laughs> I figured, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking generally. Totally. Um, and, and so the Kodawari vibe is not only having that bigger aim towards something in your life, like maybe you have a 10-year aim, a five-year aim, a three month aim and maybe even a tomorrow aim. Like tomorrow I'm going to like run and I'm going to get, get myself back into shape and, and not be lazy with exercise or whatever you, the aim is. Mm-hmm. You actually force yourself to do enough of it. Even if you can't actually do everything, you do enough of it to foster self-respect. Yeah. It was like one last thing. Like I, I want to say since this quarantine, I would say I have this like certain routine like, I don't know. Like, I think it's it fits into the concept where I just want to do, like, certain types of, like, routines every single day. Like, I set myself, okay, like, I'm going to practice this much or, like, you know, I'm going to work out, like, do Wim Hof, this, of the that. Day you, um... Yeah, exactly. I wake up and then I just, like, have it laid out. It just makes it so much easier. Do you actually write it down? To... I mean, I did at some point, but I haven't been really. I have this, like, it, app. You know what's scary about writing it down? What? You got to look at that shit. You know when you did it and when you didn't. It's Not a lot easier to erase something mentally than. Well, I have an app that's like, it's called Done, where you like <clears throat> make it to do list. And then they're like, it's written like, you know, you can write everything that you want to accomplish in one day. And then you just like click on them and then they color and then, you know, like you accomplished it, whatever. I haven't even looked at it in like a month. And it, it's like I get, psychologically, it probably does make you feel good to to be able yeah, to check something over check off. everything, every yeah. single thing there. But yeah, I've been trying to like do that since this. I remember time. I made a to-do list a couple years ago because it was like. You still haven't accomplished one thing. I know, I'm going to get there. The, I'm going to get there. So I made, <laughs> I made a list. Made. I was like, I think it was like the year after I graduated 2016, from my master's. 2016, I would right? say probably. So it, I was definitely like, all right, um, I don't want to get stuck in like the I'm not in school and, and, and what's my <laughs> aim kind of thing. So I was like starting to commit more to Baroque trumpet. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's um, make sure I like, do some research for that and like every day like that was a checklist i was learning turkish so i was like let me set aside 45 minutes to an hour at some point in the day to study some of that um a couple of things on there for an everyday one and then i remember you added one one day you were like make a dentist appointment yes luke still hasn't been to a dentist and we made this to-do list in 2016 probably or 15 of it yeah but in my defense, Impressive. I made an appointment for March, like, 20-something. <laughs> and then a pandemic happened. And then pandemic happened, and the dentist whom I've never met may or may not have gotten corona because he canceled on me, and she's like, yeah, he's uh, he's kind of sick, so he'll uh, get back to you. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, but, yeah, I've, I've definitely found that making to-do lists, at the very least, means when you don't do the thing, you you start to feel the guilt. Now I've been able to let that guilt for the dentist thing go, I guess, but uh, not. It won't. It won't infinitely go. It's going to keep eating at me subtly, right? True. It's like, hey, you should do that. You should do that. You should do that. 
You know, like when you get a toothache at an inconvenient time, like, yeah, that's why you go to the dentist, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and that's why I think the point of Kodawari is you're not going to succeed. Um, I mean, you'll have successes of sorts, but you're never going to arrive at the ideal, both because you can't quite define the ideal and you don't even know what it is, but also because that's just not possible. There's no perfect meal, right? There's no perfect anything. And it makes me feel relieved in a weird way because yes. otherwise I but it's like easy I'm losing turn, my mind. It's easy to turn away from that and go, ah, nihilism. You yeah, know what I, mean? I, I definitely you go, did oh, nothing matters. There. Did you ever have that philosophy in, at when you were younger? Like, uh, did you ever find comfort and like the thinking to yourself, whatever, nothing matters? Well, I still find comfort in that idea sometimes. Like, I'm like, whenever I get but so overwhelmed, I'm like, oh, we're going to die anyway. It's okay. Not in like a nihilistic way, sentence. though. The we're going to die anyway is a Not different even, sentence. Yeah, but it makes to me say, feel very relieved. nothing matters. I think that's what, Yeah. there was a point where my younger self if didn't, didn't believe it in the sense that I acted it out and everything I did, but I said it to myself a lot. I was like, yeah, I never whatever, became self-destructive. That's for sure. Like I, I was always pushing, but like, even though it was in the back of my mind, I would always still accomplish day by day what I wanted to accomplish for like long-term stuff. So, yeah, but yeah, I yeah, definitely, I, I, yeah. I mean, I never actually lived it out, me but neither. I definitely said it to myself enough. Cause I was probably like half sarcastically just trying to like make myself feel better or something. And it does work like that sometimes. Right. You go like, ah, shit, we were supposed to do this, whatever. And you go, ah, nothing matters. And in a sense, you're saying like, whatever. It already happened in the past. We got to move forward. The nihilism part would say like, whatever. And the future, whatever, too. Like, I'm not even going to aim up because yeah. why any, no aim has any meaning above any other aim. Like, nothing matters. Yeah, and then you get stuck in that pattern and then you usually don't really. I think it's like a pretty dangerous anything. thing. And I started to notice the nihilism energy creeping up in my own mind during the quarantine. Cause like, again, you don't have those short term goals to work towards. Yeah. That's why start I started kind of, setting myself those routines. I'm like, yes, okay, I'm yes. going to do this, 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 this. I don't have to accomplish them. It's just, they have to be there to keep me sane or like not, but you do have to into... accomplish them enough. You, yeah. you, you forgive yourself when you skip a day, but if you skipped two weeks, you would be like, I, I fucking, what that, a, I, I'm a sure. piece of shit. You yeah, know, like know you, you would have that negative feeling coming up. Um, and that's sort of why I wanted to start a podcast too, is just like, um, I I wanted that, like I said in the beginning, I suppose I wanted that excuse to like try to keep 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 myself developing, right? Mm -hmm. To be like, hey, we really wanted to do an episode on this this book or whatever. Like, I know my normal self would get lazy with before <laughs> finishing it, but if I set a good enough, meaningful enough goal yeah. ahead of time or a topic to research, I will yeah. do it. I would definitely you know push what I mean? myself as well. Yeah. yeah, it's just a good excuse because you're not always going to be some perfect disciplined creature that aims at Kodawari. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you need to sort of aim at meaningful things so that you feel good about doing the Kodawari vibe. Something like that. This is episode one by episode like five. We'll just be like, yeah, fuck the Kodawari thing. Like we're just getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. you know? Who knows? <laughs> we're also experimenting. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm not entirely, sometimes I just like, I don't know. We'll, we'll, like do, we'll do an honest episode where we say how much we're not Kodawari and plenty of things. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I definitely, definitely don't want to give the impression like we're all these like, or these like perfect Kodawari Yeah, people. like as I, as we were talking, I was thinking like, I wonder if people are thinking we're these like weird pretentious creatures. We're like, like those, sloths, um, like just so you know, like yeah, our lifestyle. I'm more like, like a sloth than um, um, 
a human. <laughs> yeah. And then like with all that like introduction music, I'm like, oh, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Like I'm pretty much it's like sloth like yeah. I think it's an aim. Certain, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, definitely aim. Like I, I, I am very I'm, humbly accepting that. Yeah. I am nowhere near in any fields to be like approaching that. Except my own. Like I think as a violin player, like I always have that standard. But and like I think for any in anything else. When you do that vibe in one specific domain like music or whatever your field or craft is, it alerts you that those similar rabbit holes exist in all these other fields and the development is quite similar, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's a human mind figuring out how something works. So I I, I just I, I have great conversations with people from different crafts because we re- I'll, I'll talk about like musical harmony and they're talking about balancing flavors in a cocktail or something. And you realize like a cocktail is like these four tones that you have to balance in some way, right? So there's all that overlap that I find really cool too. Yeah. But yeah, by no means am, am I trying to suggest if you got into the end of the episode, by no means am I so suggesting weird. that we are um, <laughs> like... Kodawari people uh, but i think you can always be more right that's the whole point of it yeah you're gonna fail and you can always just keep aiming exactly. at better wherever you are you try to aim for and always chances being more are you're, you're more Kodawari yeah. than us <laughs> for sure <laughs> at least recently yeah, yeah. it's a nice ex- i don't know experiment for us for both of us yeah basically really that's why we started it i really want to experiment with like if i have like the motivation like oh to do an episode or to write like an article about something right it will make me more motivated and and just it'll feel better to do the thing you know Mm -hmm. to read a book knowing i have at least a reason like i kind of view writing articles online as just like a way to make my own thoughts somewhere and if someone wants to look at them fine but it like makes me feel better every time i write something and organize that little slice of my mind into not a fuzzy thing but i've kind of when you're forced to write something, you make it exact, right? Mm-hmm. You, It's more precise. You zoom into the details, so you got the big picture all the way into the details. Just makes you feel better, I think. Yeah. yeah. I got nothing else to say. You? No. All right. Well, thanks for uh, agreeing to do this experiment with me. Yeah. I mean, thank you. <laughs> thanks, And thanks you, listener, for agreeing to uh, do the experiment of listening to us. <laughs> Bye. Oh, God. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.